Well, good morning. It's good to be back. Good to be with you. Good to be with our, our church family. And um, I'm blessed to be able to this morning to teach out of Ezra 7. If you'd open your Bibles with me there. Ezra is right after 2 Chronicles, for those of you that have a hard time finding it. Beautiful Savior, we love you. We're so blessed to be together today again in your name, to worship, to fellowship, to encourage each other, and Lord, also to sit under the teaching of your word. We're grateful for it. Holy Spirit, we love you. We thank you for your presence among us today. I pray that your grace would fill this place and that you would encourage our hearts today and strengthen us and call us, Lord, to all that you've called us and created us to be. In Jesus' name, Father, we give you this time. Amen. Well, I have to tell you to begin that I don't have a real um, deep teaching today. I know, Kath wants a deep teaching. She likes those, those heavy revies. Um, but I feel like what I'm going to say to you today is very significant, obviously. And uh, I want to use the book of Ezra as um, this, this chapter to share with you what I believe the Holy Spirit is saying, not only today to this church, but I think to the church in the Western world predominantly. And uh, I've entitled this morning's teaching, The Man, The Man, and His Mission. I'm going to read just beginning of chapter 7 through verse 6, or actually verse 10, and then I'm going to go down to uh, verses 25 through 28, and then we'll skip on from there to another chapter in a moment. Ezra 7.1, now after this, in the reign of Artaxerxes, the king of Persia, Ezra, and I'm going to skip all these names because you know that I can pronounce them. I'm going to go right to verse 6. This Ezra went up from Babylonia. But I do want to back up just to the end of verse 5, and it says there that he was, that he is a son, a descendant of Aaron, the priest. All these men whom were listed, these names that are so easy to say, uh, are all in the lineage of Aaron who was the first, we know, high priest. And it says then in verse 6 that he was a scribe skilled in the law of Moses that the Lord, the God of Israel, had given. And the king granted him all that he asked, amazingly, for the hand of the Lord his God was on him. You might want to underline that in your Bible. And there went up also to Jerusalem in the seventh year of Artaxerxes, the king some of the people of Israel, and some of the priests and the Levites, the singers and gatekeepers and the temple servants. And Ezra came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, which was in the seventh year of the king Artaxerxes. For on the first day of the first month, he began to go, he left Babylon. And on the first day of the fifth month, four months later, he came and entered Jerusalem. And here it is again in verse 9, for the good hand of his God was on him. For Ezra, and here it is the key, had set 
his heart to study the law of God and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. Now look down with me at verse 25 as well through 28. And now this is Artaxerxes speaking in a letter that he wrote. This is the letter that Ezra was given by Artaxerxes the king. And at the end of the letter, it says this, And you, Ezra, according to the wisdom of your God that is in your hand, amazingly, appoint magistrates and judges who may judge all the people in the province. Beyond the river, all such as know the laws of your God, and those who do not know them you shall teach. Whoever will not obey the law of your God and the law of the king, let judgment be strictly executed on him, whether for death or for banishment or for confiscation of his goods or for imprisonment. That's a heavy edict. And then this is Ezra now speaking. After he finishes the letter, he says, Blessed be the Lord, the God of our fathers, who put such a thing as this into the heart of the king to beautify the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem and who extended to me his steadfast love before the king and his counselors and before all of the king's mighty officers. I took courage, and here he says it again, for the hand of the Lord my God was on me. And I gathered leaning men, leading men from Israel to go up with me. I get a feeling that the hand of God was on this man. I don't know how I deduced that, but I've deduced that. Three times it says it. And at one point in verse 10, it tells us why the hand of God was on him. And that's really going to be the theme of what I'm going to be speaking today. Here we are amazingly now in chapter 7 of Ezra. Ezra finally comes on the scene of his own book named after him. The first six chapters, he hasn't been here. And now in the seventh chapter of the book of Ezra, there are only 10 chapters. He finally shows up more than halfway through the book. I entitled this The Man and His Mission. I want to talk for a few moments about the man. I've got to tell you, I am incredibly impressed with this man. Never had really been that impressed prior to this. This is the only account we have of his life. And then in Nehemiah, it continues. I'll tell you to begin with, he only lived 40 years. And this book begins, the book of Ezra begins with the return of the exiles. I'm going to give you some dates. Don't get lost in them. But just remember, B.C., the smaller the date, the closer it is to us. We're going, we're working backward in B.C. The book of Ezra begins with the exile returning, the exiled Jews from Babylon returning in 537 B.C. under Cyrus. The second temple was finally finished in 516 B.C., 21 years later, and we've already read about that in the book of Ezra. And now in chapter 7, this is 60 years after the end of chapter 6. And it's very interesting how it just simply says this, now after this. When we were in Southern California and was spending time with Nick and Karin, the South Africans, they have a term they use, and it's this, it's uh, uh, just now. And that means Whenever. And we didn't know that at first. So they would say, yeah, well, let's get together just now. And it's like they're not really telling you anything when they say that. And that's essentially what this is saying. Now after this, and really now we know that it was 60 years after chapter 6. 
Finally, he went up from Babylonia. From these first six verses of chapter 7, we can gather a lot of information about this man, Ezra. He was sent by the king of Persia, Artaxerxes. Now listen, he was the son of Xerxes, who was the king that Esther was married to. So Esther lived during a time that this, this temple was being rebuilt in Jerusalem. She was in Persia. This is amazing, the providence of God. She marries Xerxes, and we know the story of Esther. Artaxerxes is Xerxes' son. So it's very possible that she had some influence in this whole thing. That maybe she prompted the awareness of the king, who was the son of the man to whom she was married. In other words, Xerxes' stepmother. Maybe she prompted some awareness of the customs and the laws of the Jews in Jerusalem that maybe even caused Xerxes to cause this trip to come about. We know by the dates that are given that Ezra was born in Babylon. And I am always fascinated by those who lived for God wholeheartedly while they were in Babylon. That always fascinates me. And I think the reason is, is because I think there's a, a quality of our life that is similar. That we are living as those who are, in a sense, in exile. We are sojourners, Peter says, strangers in this land. Because our home is really in heaven. Our citizenship is first in heaven and then on the earth. And so whenever I come across men who are godly men like Daniel and his friends in the book of Daniel, and now Ezra and Ezekiel who lived in Babylon, and who not only lived but prospered in Babylon, I'm fascinated and I want to pay attention and I want to learn from them. What kind of people must they have been to not only remain faithful, but to prosper? They had to live under kings that were at times evil. They had to live under governments that were anti everything they believed and everything they loved. Yet they not only lived under them, they prospered both spiritually and in the case of Daniel and in the case of Ezra, politically, they prospered. They had positions of high authority in those governments politically. So there must be a lesson in there for we who also live in exile. A lesson on how living wholeheartedly for God in adverse social and political conditions can glorify God greatly. It must have been Ezra's grandparents who were taken captive by Nebuchadnezzar and brought into exile in Babylon. That would have been around 586 BC or 130 years before this chapter takes place. So it had to have been his grandparents or perhaps his great-grandparents. And as I said earlier, he only lived 40 years. This is amazing. They approximate from 480 to 440 BC is when Ezra lived. And from the dates that we have here, he must have been as young as possibly 18 or 19 years old. You can do the math yourself. I'm going to turn in a moment to Nehemiah 8, and I'm going to read that in a moment and look at that. And five years later, he died. Forty years. I'm always also interested in men who, who, who have very short 
ministry time spans, but who have spent their whole life being prepared for a matter of days, weeks, months, or a couple of years. We have this thing in our, own, in our culture that the bigger and the grander it is, the more successful it is. In God, it could be a matter of weeks. It could be a matter of months. It could be a matter of years. John the Baptist's short ministry. Jesus' short ministry. And there are many others who were prepared a lifetime for a short ministry. Ezra. Ezra must have given himself to the word of God, to the law of God from the time he was a little kid. To be able, as a teen or maybe early 20s, to have the influence that he had and to effect the reformation, the reform that he did. I'm getting ahead of myself. He was a scribe, verse 6 says, skilled in the law of Moses that the Lord, the God of Israel, had given. Being a scribe could have meant that he was a state secretary, a political position of influence. And if you go, well, he's too young for that. Look at Daniel. Look at what Daniel held as a young man. These men were raised up by God. It was the providential work of God to raise these men up and to place them in positions of authority and visibility. Why? For the purposes of God. But he had given himself to the law of God. And so we know that Artaxerxes needed someone in Jerusalem who understood the ways of Yahweh and the ways of the Jews and their laws, and by sending him, and I think Matt spoke of this earlier, could placate the God of the Jews, which is what those kings would do. They wanted to placate the gods of the peoples over whom they ruled. And so this was, in a sense, Artaxerxes sending Ezra to check out what was going on in Jerusalem and to probably send back to him information, but also to restore the worship in the temple. And he allowed him to take everything that Nebuchadnezzar had taken back with him. And to take the, some priests and some Levites, some singers, and to take back with him on his second return what was needed after the temple had been rebuilt so that they might worship God. Now think about this for a minute. When Nebuchadnezzar came and he destroyed the temple and he destroyed all of what was in the city, the Jews that remained were left without anything in any way of worship. We know that out of two or three million people living in Babylon at the time of the return, only 50,000 came back. A small number. But there was a, a number of people who remained in Jerusalem when Nebuchadnezzar came and sacked it. He only took the cream of the crop. He took the young, he took the well-educated, he took the talented, and he left just the regular people there. Behind, And they had to carry on life with no temple and no way to worship God for those 70 years. We're talking about a people who had been decimated and literally a nation that had been destroyed through exile. And now, listen, God was in the process of rebuilding it. And he was using men. And in this case, he's using a young man to do that. By the law, we know that it means the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. And Ezra was a man who knew Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy well. But above all, the favor of God was upon his life. And there's nothing greater that can be said of a man or a woman than in what is said of 
Ezra, and the king granted him all that he asked for the hand of the Lord his God was on him. And the same thing as I read is in verse 9, and we see the cause of God's favor on his life in verse 10. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of God and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. So God's favor in Ezra's life was upon him due to his diligence in studying the law of God, the word of God, and with his heart desiring to obey it. We see from this chapter also that he was a man of great courage. He was willing to leave his home as a young man and to lead a caravan of probably almost 2,000 men, women, and children on a thousand-mile, four-month journey during the heat of the summer from Babylon to Jerusalem. And he says at the end of chapter 7, because of the danger and the immense task that was ahead of him, that he knew was ahead of him. He said, I took courage for the hand of the Lord my God was on me. We can do whatever God asks us and calls us to do if his hand is upon us. And I'm going to say to you, brothers and sisters, he's got much more for you than you know. The day in which we are living right now demands men and women of faith who will rise up in their faith and obey God. And if you're overwhelmed or you're insecure or you're timid or you feel inadequate, which we all do, I want you to know that if God's hand is upon you, you can do whatever it is that he calls you to do. And I must say to you that the best way to ensure that his hand is upon you is to give yourself to the word of God to being a student of, a lover of the word of God. We like to talk in our church and the way we identify, if someone says what kind of church is Capital City Church, we kind of use a term, we are a spirit and word church or gospel and ghost. I just thought of that. That's a good one. You can use that. You can use that one. That's a good one. We're a gospel and ghost church. That might scare a lot of people. You don't, maybe you don't want to say that one. We believe in the continuing work of the Holy Spirit. We believe in the power of God, as Kevin said as we, and during the meeting today. We believe in all of the charismata, the gifts of the Spirit, healing, deliverance, prophecy, dreams and visions. We believe in all of those. We earnestly desire all of them. We want all of them in our midst because that is the way God builds his church on the earth. And we believe in the power of the word of God to sanctify us. When it is preached that it would convict of sin, that it would bring salvation to the lost in our midst, that it would renew our minds, and it would conform us into the likeness of Jesus Christ, which is the goal of all of this anyway. We are living in a time when there is much subjectivity and experience focus in the Western church. Spirit-filled churches tend to be vulnerable to deception and to doctrinal error because they are given to experience too often over and against being grounded in the truth of the word of God. And I've said this to Kath many times, if I only had to make a choice 
And God forbid that this is the case ever. If I had to make a choice of a church that just teaches the word, but doesn't believe in the gifts of the spirit, or a church that has all of the experiences, but doesn't teach the word, I would take the word church every time. Every time. And in fact, in our life, we actually did that. After we got saved, we left the Catholic church. We ended up in a small Christian Missionary Alliance church that didn't believe in the gifts and had nothing going on in worship at all. Hymns, first and third stanzas. <laughs> and yet they were teaching the Bible. And that's where God put us. Because that's what we needed. From the time I got saved, my heart hungered for the word of God. Everything that I've learned and everything that I've done in my life in ministry has come because of my hunger and my giving myself to God's word. And yet six years after we were in that little church in Santa Barbara, I was casting demons out of people and praying for the sick and seeing them get healed and encountering the power of God. We want both. We want the power of God. We want the presence of the Spirit of God in our midst. But we must not ever sacrifice anything for the truth of Scripture, for a grounding, a strong foundation in God's Word. Because the Word of God will lead to truth and freedom, even if the Spirit is quenched. It will. If you hear it and you believe it, it will still free you. But we now know that it is God's desire that we would have the fullness, a complete, full revelation of both the presence and the power of God's Spirit and of the Scripture, the truth of the Word of God. And that's what we are endeavoring to be as a local church. That's what our heart is. There was a great need in Jerusalem in Ezra's time. As he arrived, he must have been shocked at what he saw. There was a great need in Jerusalem for the people to be taught the Torah, the law of God, so that they could once again know what God's will was for them, understand what God's desire was for them, so that they could renew the covenant with this true and living God. And what they needed is exactly what the church today in the West needs as well, the kind of preaching that produces conviction and a sense of urgency and resolve. Something deeper is needed in the preaching of the word. Preaching to the heart, preaching to the conscience, preaching that results in the conviction of sin and in a sense of unworthiness and brings about repentance and a turning to God. That's what's needed again in the church. That's what was needed in Jerusalem. They didn't need a therapeutic message of self-worth to make them feel good about themselves. They needed to be warned about the consequences of continuing to live in sin and called to repentance, just as the church today in the West is. I want to tell you that it's difficult to preach that way today because people don't want to hear it. And pastors have to walk in their minds. They think they have to walk a fine balance or they don't offend so the people won't leave, but they try to give enough Bible so that it does feed a little bit. I think we're making a mistake. I think we need to preach to the heart and allow the word of God to pierce the heart 
and to penetrate the heart. Ezra was a reformer, just as were the men in Europe in the 16th century, men like Luther and Calvin and Zwingli. He was a reformer. That's exactly what he was, a pre-runner to these other men. He had set his heart, as I said, to study the law of God. His love was for the word of God above all else. So he didn't go to Jerusalem because he was bored with where he lived. He didn't go to Jerusalem for a better life. He didn't go to Jerusalem so that he could have more money, make more money or something. He went because he wanted to see God's people return to the Lord and to a way of life that pleased God and gave God honor. His heart was for the glory of God, and he knew that the hearts of the people needed to turn back once again to their God. And so his reform came in the form of teaching God's law and calling God's people to obedience. Because he knew that only to hear it wouldn't be enough. They had to do it. They had to do what they heard. This is interesting what happened with Calvin in 1536 when he was in Geneva. He began to preach daily. He had daily preaching meetings where people would gather and he would preach every single day. He did that for almost three years. And before the three years was up, people got tired of what they were hearing him say to them. And they drove him out of the city. And he went to Strasbourg, another city in Switzerland. But again, three years after they drove him out, they went to him in Strasbourg and they pleaded with him to come back because they realized they had been wrong. They began to see the fruit of what he had done and they wanted to hear more and they called him back. And so he returned. And it, it says that when he returned, he picked up and he began preaching at exactly the same point that he had left off three years earlier. What was he doing? He was making a point about the power of God and the word of God being effectual to change human hearts when it's simply applied consistently over and over again. It's not to entertain. It's not to wow. It's to simply, this is the truth of scripture and to allow it to impact our hearts and our lives. We take so easily this, this, and for granted, this book that we have. I'm probably, I don't know how many I have in my home. I don't know, how many do you have in your home? Yeah, 10, 15. You even have it on your phone in a little app. Do you know there are people in the world today who would do anything for one page? Who would one page if they could just have a page? We take for granted this gift that we have been given so easily. Men like Wycliffe and Tyndale who were persecuted and killed for simply wanting to translate it from Latin in Wycliffe's example and, or Greek or Hebrew in Tyndale's into English. Tyndale was burned at the stake for wanting to translate the Bible into English. The things that we take for granted, the things that we take so casually, that God in his sovereignty has incredibly provided for us. So Lord Jesus, help us love your word. 
Help us to love your word, Lord, as Ezra and these men loved your word. The problem that Ezra faced when he returned to Jerusalem was that many of the Judeans, the Jews there, had taken heathen wives from among the pagan nations. Again, remember, they were left when Nebuchadnezzar came and sacked the city. They left to fend for themselves. They were left rudderless and, and without any direction spiritually because now the temple was destroyed. There were no leaders. There was no one to lead them. And so they just began doing whatever seemed right in their own mind. And so many of them just intermarried as would have been, you would think, yes, expected. But this mixed marriages had become so prevalent that they threatened the very survival of the Jewish nation. And so Ezra, this is radical. And we'll read about this in the next few chapters. The remaining book uh, chapters of Ezra, he demanded that the people divorce their pagan wives and separated from the wives and the children. Put them away. And those who refused to do so were put out. It was radical. It seems harsh. But listen, God in his providence was protecting the lineage of the Messiah. Jesus came from that people, and that lineage had to have been protected in order to do what God had purposed for redemption. So Ezra was used powerfully by God. In fact, many commentators and scholars would say that it is doubtful that the nation of Israel would have survived without the ministry of Ezra. He was called the second Moses. And God in his providence had raised up a man that was needed at exactly that time with the kind of character and the makeup and the understanding of God's word that was needed in order to do what only he could do. A man of courage, a man of conviction, a young man, a man who loved the word of God and a man who could teach it to God's people. We read again about this impact in the book of Nehemiah. If you turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 8, please. We're going to get to this chapter in a bit as we continue through these two books. But I'm going to look at verses 1 through 12. I want to read verses 1 through 12, if you would follow with me, of Nehemiah chapter 8. This is awesome. All the people gathered as one man. I love that. They gathered as one man. What does that mean? They had one heart, one mind, one intention. Now, this is after the walls had already been rebuilt. The temple obviously was built. Nehemiah had come in the beginning of the, cha- of the book, and he rebuilt the walls. And now this is after all of that was complete. And now, once again, Ezra it comes on the scene. He was still there. He had been there all along. But it says, The people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. Now, there's another place prior to this where all of the Israel, even the kids, are sitting in the pouring rain for hours. In this case, here in this chapter, they don't have apparently the young kids. It's just all those that could understand. Ezra 
And Nehemiah wanted those that whom they could teach and who would understand what was being said. So that's who is here. They brought the assembly, men and women, and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and the women. And again, it says, and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform. This is the first example of preaching. Stood on a wooden platform that they had made for this purpose. And beside him stood all these names that are easy to say. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people. For he was above all the people on this platform. And as he opened it, all the people stood. Wow. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people, like Judy, said, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads, and they worshipped with their faces to the ground. And all these men of God helped the people to understand the law, while the people remained in their places. So this is cool. They actually... The people stayed where they were, and there were these men circulating. It's like small groups saying, did you understand this? Did you understand what he meant by this in Leviticus? Did you understand what God's intention was? Did you understand what took place here in Genesis? And they helped them understand. They wanted them to understand what had been taught. And they were teaching them further. It's amazing. They read from the book of the law, from the law of God, clearly. And they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for the people were weeping as they heard the words of the law. They began to weep, and they were mourning, and they were grieved. But Nehemiah goes, no, 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 no. This is a day of rejoicing. This is a holy day. This is a good day. Don't mourn. There's a time for mourning. This is not a time for mourning. He said to them in verse 10, go your way, eat the fat and drink wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing. For this day is holy to our Lord and do not be grieved for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Celebrate. This is a good day. We've been exposed to the word of God. We've understood it. And we've said in our hearts, yes, Lord, to your word. So the Levites calmed the people. And they said, be quiet. For this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And the people went their way to eat and drink. And to send portions to others, their neighbors, and to their friends. And to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that had been declared to them. This is amazing. This is the fruit of the work of Ezra. This is the ministry. Five years later, he dies. 40-year-old. Just some points from this, and I'm going to land. They gathered all who were old enough to understand it. Can I encourage you as parents, if your kids are in in this room when the word of God is being taught, Help them understand it afterward. If your wife or your husband needs clarity, talk to each other as spouses about what has been said and help each other understand it. 
Ezra read from it from early morning until noon, till midday. Just reading it, reading it. I was going to read Psalm 119 to close today. And I read it this morning and it took me 15 minutes and I decided I better not do that. It did. It took me 15 minutes to read it. I'm going to read a little bit of it, not 15 minutes worth. Ezra read for six, seven hours straight. And it sounds like the people were standing. These are gnarly people. They said that they were listening attentively, like you all are. He was on a wooden platform preaching. He opened the book in the sight of the people, and as he read it, the people stood. When he finished, he blessed the Lord, and all the people said, yes, amen. And they bowed their heads, and they worshiped with their faces to the ground. This was followed, as I said, by other men reading from the book and helping them gain even clearer understanding. And then deep conviction came upon the people, and they began to weep. I love this. I love this. Brothers and sisters, everything that God has for you in your life that will be of any meaning will come from you being a man or a woman who has given themselves to God's word. You will prosper and you will be successful in life. Young men and young women, hear me. College degree, great. Student of the word, greater. Greater. To know the word of God, to have the word of God richly dwell in you, to be able to speak to others, maybe not quoting it, but knowing the essence of it, understanding the overarching plan of God through scripture, the plan of redemption as revealed from the old to the new, the person of Jesus Christ spoken of in the New Testament. To know the word of God, to be a man or a woman who knows the word of God will be a key to your success. I believe the Lord is calling us back to being a people of the word. Not that we've ever left it. We haven't. But to make certain that that is a priority in our lives. I'm I'm glad that Matt wants to just teach and preach through Scripture and just take it and take it and take it and take it. It's funny that when I knew I was teaching chapter 7, I read it and I went, there's not really much to say there. And I began to pray about it and read it, and I went, oh, my God, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me. I'm such a dork. Because I love deep theology. But the Lord said, no, 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 no. This is it. Call the people back to the word. Call them back. Stand with me, please. I want to do two things. I want to first read a portion of Psalm 119. Many scholars believe that Ezra wrote Psalm 119. Did you know that? And it makes sense when you read it. I don't have it on the screen. You can listen. I'm just going to read sections. Let the word of God richly dwell in you as I read it. Open your hearts to it. Maybe close your eyes so you're not distracted. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his commandments, who seek him with their whole heart. 
who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. Open my eyes, I love this, that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. I will keep your law continually forever and ever, and I shall walk in a wide place. For I have sought your precepts. I will also speak of your testimonies before kings. And I shall not be put to shame. For I find my delight in your commandments, which I love. You have dealt well with your servant, O Lord, according to your word. Teach me good judgment and knowledge. For I believe in your commandments. Those who fear you shall see me and rejoice, because I have hoped in your word. I know, O Lord, that your rules, your ways are righteous, and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You have established the earth, and it stands fast. By your appointment, they stand this day, for all things are your servants. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. It is time for the Lord to act, for your law has been broken. Therefore, I love your commandments above gold, above fine gold. Therefore, I consider all your precepts to be right, and I hate every false way. With my whole heart, I cry, answer me, Lord. I will keep your statutes. I call to you, save me, that I may observe your testimonies. I rise before dawn and cry for help. I hope in your words. My eyes are awake before the watches of the night that I may meditate on your promise. Great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. I hope for your salvation, O Lord, and I do your commandments. My soul keeps your testimonies. I love them exceedingly. I keep your precepts and testimonies, for all my ways are before you. And lastly, I long for your salvation, O Lord. Yes, Lord, we do. And your law is my delight. Let my soul live and praise you and let your law help me. I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. Yes, Lord. Amen. Can I ask all of the 20-somethings and younger to come forward right now? 20-somethings and younger. Stand up here in the front. Stand across the front. Stand across the front, yeah. 
Face this way. Don't face out. Face this way. Just go all the way across. Come on. Stretch out. Don't be bashful. You're facing me. You can face any way you want. I don't care what way you face. You can face. You can walk against the flow. Stretch out more. Get everybody across. I don't want anybody behind anybody. Everybody stretch out, stretch out, stretch out. This is awesome. And there's some that aren't here today that I really hoped would have been here. I'll get some of the uh, not 20-somethings. Come up here. <laughs> Come up here. And Father, in Jesus' name, Holy Spirit, close your eyes. Lift your hands, guys in front. Girls, lift your hands. Holy Spirit, come upon these young people, these young men and women of God. Yes, Holy Spirit, come. Come up here in front with me, folks, and pray with me. Come, Lord, come upon them. Close your eyes. Don't be self-conscious. God, put something in their heart of a love for the Word of God that they've not known, Lord. Some, Lord, who have never had a hunger, create it. Those who already have it, Lord, stoke the fire. Lord, more and more and more that they would love the Word of God, that they would hunger for the Word of God, that they would desire the Word of God. Lord, that they would read the Word of God every day. They would not be satisfied unless the Word of God, Lord, has been richly deposited into their heart at some point. God, I ask you to cleanse them of the foolishness of giving themselves to other things. Lord, of, of media, of movies, of music, of all of the things that suck the life out of them. In Jesus' name, cleanse them, Lord. Forgive them and heal them, Lord, where they have been violated by these things, Lord. Restore to them innocence. Restore to them, O oh God, a, a, something of a purity of heart and mind that they need, Lord, now in their lives. In Jesus' name, Spirit of God, do this. Lord, raise up Ezra's, Lord. Raise up men and women who have a like heart as Ezra, as Daniel, as other young men and women of God in the Scriptures who were radically given to the purposes of God in their generation. Lord, use this young group of men and women, I pray. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. I pray for a supernatural ability to memorize scripture. Lord, that they would understand and memorize texts that speak of salvation, that speak of redemption, that speak of the purposes of God for them. Text like Holden read today out of Ephesians 3, Lord, a prayer of Paul, an apostolic prayer for the church in this day. Give them, Lord, the ability to memorize the words of Jesus from the gospels. Yes, Lord that they would just be in their hearts and in their minds. Give them understanding of complex truths in Romans and Galatians and other places in Hebrews. Lord, that you would open their eyes to understand the truth of these incredible books, Lord, written by godly men. Deep, deep truths, Lord, bypassing the, the, the ability to understand with their brain and going into their heart and opening their heart in Jesus' name. Elias, let the Lord speak to you, son. Yes, God, yes. Teachers, Lord, to be raised up from among them. Lord, raise up teachers. Raise up teachers, Lord. Raise them up, God. Anoint them, Lord. We put aside, Lord, this thought that they have to be a certain age to be used by God. No, Lord. In their teens, in their 20s, they can be greatly used by you. 
You desire to use them. Show them, Lord, the place that you have for them in the body of Christ today. Turn this church upside down. Turn it upside down, Lord. Turn it upside down with the work of the Spirit in the lives of these young men and women. Lord, anoint them. Anoint them with power. Anoint them with understanding, with wisdom, God. Yes, Lord. Yes, yes, yes. Humble their hearts, Lord. Humble them. Bring simplicity. Bring simplicity of heart and mind. Bring clarity, Lord where there's been confusion. Help them to set goals that are God goals and not earthly only, but goals that are prompted by the Holy Spirit for this generation, Lord, the day in which we're living. Alas, days, people, raise them up, O God. Raise them up, Lord. In Jesus' name, Holy Spirit, come. Fill them now. Fill them, Lord. Yes, receive. Receive. Love the word of God, a love for the word of God, a hunger for God's word. Yes, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Yes, our God.